Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Happy Friday, everyone. Care for some news? A mass shooting has sent at least 10 people to the hospital. Illinois is one of the few states that provides health care benefits to undocumented immigrants. But the state is beginning to scale back that coverage, and it's causing a political rift. Crews are racing against time to prepare the NASCAR Chicago Street Race course. It's a 2.2-mile course that winds through downtown on Michigan Avenue and on DuSable Lakeshore Drive for the first time ever. Today is the summer solstice in the Northern Hemisphere, making it the longest day of the year. After today, the days begin getting shorter. And I can't break down these stories alone, so I've invited some newsy friends along to help. Our panel today is WTTW host and correspondent Paris Schatz, WTTW political correspondent Amanda Vinicky, and rounding out our group is WBEZ city politics reporter Mariah Wolfel. All right, folks, lots of news, but I want to start on the lighter side today, if we can. Summertime shy is official. Woo-hoo! Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> this week, we welcome the, the summer solstice, which uh, officially kicks off the season, as we know. I mean, are you in the summertime spirit? I know you are, Amanda. Better believe it, I am. <laughs> oh, it's this... been summertime for a while. <laughs> no, I don't wait for the solstice. No, it hasn't. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to. It's been up but... and down for me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But still, we you, still once, some... you, once you get a little bit of glimpse of sun and warmth, yeah. oh, everything yeah. is, it's a reset. I, I like right. it when I'm mad by walking outside because of how hot I am and how much I'm sweating. Like, that's I get, when like, I know it's summer. And that was for me, right. like, this past week. I get anxious about being inside. Like, right. every moment that I'm indoors, I feel like is a moment missed enjoying this brief bit of respite that mm-hmm. we get. But at least it's yeah. still brief. light when we get out of work. Yes. That is true. High five, Paris. I can't reach you, but air five. (laughs) That is so true. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get to some of your summer recommendations later this hour. So I want you to get those ready in the meantime. But Wednesday's summer solstice was the longest day of the year with more than 15 hours and 13 minutes of sunlight. I mean, did you make the most of that extra time? Paris doesn't even I don't remember. even remember what I did. That <laughs> was like three weeks ago in my mind. I think I just worked. I'm just talking about Wednesday. Oh, uh, Wednesday. Two days ago. Oh wow. My gosh. You know, I did. I um, <laughs> literally, I don't know. I what usually I did. do a like a whole yoga routine situation, and um, this oh. year, yeah, this year I, I did not do that. I'm not particularly, yeah. So I, I okay, but that's normally what yeah. I do. I thought yeah. about it. Yeah. You know, okay. you know what I did that I. I can't believe I forgot. I took my niece to the Fallout Boy concert at Ooh, Wrigley Field. Nice. And that was very fun and nostalgic. And the rest of us that live on the north side heard that concert. <laughs> Fireworks. Oh, right. oh my gosh. It was, it was like, just that? booming teenage angst. It, like, it didn't matter. What, like if you're on Western and Montrose, I think you heard the I entire concert. I thought it was people down the street. Right. Right. <laughs> All right, so another story we're gearing up for this summer, NASCAR. Uh, You can already see the concrete barriers and bleachers up near Buckingham Fountain. Yesterday I was driving around the area, and at every right turn I tried to make off Lakeshore, it was like, oh, nope, blocked, nope, can't go there. Are you looking forward to the big event or apprehensive, folks? I'm not going to be there. I I mean, I'm I'm not going to be paying to go. I think it's great for people who want to. And I I do think that there's sort of been this stigma against NASCAR that I'm not sure there would be if it was another sport. That said, it's far more disruptive than any other sport. So you you can't also make that comparison fairly. It Mm. it, it is 
a pain in the arse to get around at a time when traffic is already absolutely terrible. So it, throwing any sort of additional wrench in there well, is remember, not particularly this, helpful. This is the <laughs> first time that NASCAR racers has, have done a, a city street course like this. I mean, you mentioned if we're another racing circuit like Formula One, this is what they do. So mm-hmm. they know how to do this. So I think there's apprehension within NASCAR, too. I remember Dale Earnhardt Jr. telling me he thinks that half the drivers are going to be kind of dreading this hmm. they, and they're not going to get Slow any time they're, they're, yeah. they're only practicing on a simulator they're going to get like an hour on the course before they actually have to do the race so they're not they're used to going around in an oval not doing sharp right turns okay, and left this turns so there are legit safety concerns for the drivers well i think nascar says and they have crowds. it all figured out but i according to what earnhardt said some of the drivers are nervous because they haven't <clears throat> done this. And, and we drove along. We've all driven along that course yes. at some point or another. These are sharp turns and narrow streets and lots of cars. And, you know, yes, there's there's a fear of like a car just flipping and winding up in the Art Institute or no, something like don't that. Say that. I, I, no, Yikes. We it, hope does seem, anything... it does seem like a video game almost when you imagine how it could play out. And, and I think that the cars are going to go slow because yeah. of that. They're not they're not going to go full throttle. They can go 150 along some of those straightaways. But I think they're going to—I think you have apprehensive drivers. So if it all goes out without a hitch, I aye, think aye, aye. Mayor Johnson has to—did to, it bring tourism? Did it bring revenue? Uh, was it minimal disruption? Then maybe it's worth doing again yeah. uh, or not. I, you know, I— it's totally up in the air. My goodness. Uh, I mean, the, as we've talked about, the grandstands, they've mostly been built so far. There are still uh, pedestrian bridges that need to go up. Overall, NASCAR says that they've they've never built anything this large this, this fast. Everybody's flying blind here. This is brand new so for fast, everybody. Which is, which is never good. Uh, Chicago 675 on YouTube says NASCAR is going to be a challenge from a public safety perspective. Mm-hmm. But we do know there are folks super excited about this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This I is, mean, it's this a, is a incredible. And it's a classic. If you like if you like NASCAR. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, beautiful skyline, beautiful so views. Pretty. I mean, just looking at the bleachers when you're downtown, you're like, oh, that looks so cool. Right. Um, if you like that. that, that so, all right. So <laughs> I did, that sort of thing. they did this PR thing where they took reporters around the course. Dale Jarrett, one of the famous old drivers, he was in the car with me and he said his concern is that drivers are going to be distracted by the beauty of the skies. Like, now look at this architecture. <laughs> They're not used to seeing this. This is going to be something to get used to in the first couple laps. Like Chicago's too pretty for yeah. NASCAR. I'm afraid they might get distracted. That was like legit one of his top concerns. Yeah. So we, we one, speaking of top concerns, Amanda brought it up earlier, those prices. Uh, tickets yeah. started at $269 for general admission, 353 for enhanced general admission, 465 for premium seats. So even with uh, the construction and, and these premium prices, there still seems to be this excitement. Let's listen to Julie Giese, who's the president of NASCAR Chicago Street Race. We have ticket sales from all 50 states as well as 14 different countries. Uh, that was one thing that we committed to the city early on was to drive tourism and give this uh, city a, a boost from a tourism perspective. And we're seeing that when you look at ticket sales. Do you think she's right, Mariah? Could this event deliver on that big tourism boost for Chicago? Well, I think that, as Paris said, this it's unchartered. I think that's going to be part of the evaluation afterwards. Mayor Brandon Johnson did not decide to bring this event to the city of Chicago. He hasn't been, you know, outright opposed to it or critical of it. But he, I think he is going to have to make some evaluations after to see if this is going to be worth bringing back. Yeah. It's easier to bring in Taylor Swift to pump up <laughs> <Yeah>. those numbers. <laughs> Here, here's another question from, from YouTube. Uh, does anyone actually know the incremental revenue... This event is bringing to the city when you factor in 
were normally busy that weekend, mm-hmm. and you factor in the costs like police overtime. Boy, that's an unknown. I don't. I don't know um, whether they have a projection on that or not, and and what the hotel. I mean, Taylor Swift sold out the hotels. There was a convention that's that right. weekend too. Uh, are the hotels going to be nearly sold out this weekend? But are they normally anyway? It's July Fourth weekend. There's a lot going right. on. So, I, I, I. Well, and I think some of it is incalculable as well in terms of if you have a different audience. If this goes well, you have the beautiful Chicago skyline. Chicago nationally is dealing televised. With, exactly. Is Chicago has some reputational issues. If you see and and, and it goes great and it's beautiful weather and you see the skyline and Buckingham Fountain and all that on a nationally televised um, program that a lot of people that wouldn't otherwise come to Chicago. How do you calculate that in? But I think that is a very fair point in terms of the cost and projections. I'm sure somebody's thinking about Mm -hmm. it. All right. We're on the topic of summer. So I want to squeeze in another story that we've got our eye on. And that's the the greater Chicago areas in the midst of this drought. Right. Uh, Two suburbs. They've imposed water restrictions on residents. That's New Lenox and Makina. are you feeling the drought conditions? Well, this is kind of um, historic. I mean, the last time there was anything quite like this was 2012, according to a meteorologist that we talked to. And it doesn't look like there's any let up anytime soon, although I think there's some uh, rain in the forecast for Sunday. But, you know, people love the sun. It, it means that their games aren't going to get rained out. Uh, but there's an economic cost here. Crops are starting to feel mm-hmm. um, the effects of of the drought, and and that could really cost uh, Illinois farmers, uh, which rely on their harvest, uh, and and so they're definitely no doubt uh, praying for rain. Um, I mean, there's an econ- the environmental impact. Uh, you know, rivers uh, are 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 much less. Uh, what's the word? They're they're much. They're low. Low. They're shallow. Yes, they're low. They're, they're shallower. Um, so so people might enjoy the sun, but there's an economic and environmental cost, and I think uh, forecasters are. Kind of uncertain uh, whether we're going to get out of this anytime soon. Are you missing those severe thunderstorms this summer, Amanda? You know, I do love them when I'm sleeping. I like them I, when you can hear it and, you know, you're settling down to bed. And you can get to sleep I in like. the middle of severe thunderstorms? I can fall asleep anywhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> it is one of my skills. Uh, yeah, way to go me. <laughs> I, I don't have many, but me. that one I got. You're going to have to teach me that one. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. I don't know. I think it's just get really, really tired. Uh, okay, sleep. Yeah. Um, but I, so, but I, I don't miss them during the day. But yeah. It's to what Paris said. I mean, I, I recognize that much as I am delightful and like literally like skipping in the sunshine uh, that it is not great for. Same. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But there are consequences, right? Uh, Anybody been paying attention to this? This is another summer story. Chicago Public Libraries, they're phasing out museum passes. So you know how you could usually stop at a library and get a few uh, free tickets to the field or the shed for your family? Well, now that's actually being phased out and it's being replaced by this statewide program called Explore More Illinois. Uh, But not everyone is happy about this. I mean, why are parents pushing back? I think there's concerns about the lack of advertising and just awareness around Explore More Illinois. Is that the program that they're replacing it with? But it does seem like a a pretty similar situation where there are everything went digital. Yeah, so so the the museum passes that you can get from an aldermanic office or libraries, those are physical. You have to go and right. and I think someone from uh, a representative from one of the from Chicago Public Libraries was telling Block Club that that leads to pe- like families driving around to different locations because once you run out at a certain location, then there's no more passes right. for the day. So people driving around trying to find free passes, whereas this is kind of all digital. But yeah, concerns about you know whether families are aware of that right now, whether digital 
access is a barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, I think a lot of museums in Chicago, too, just kind of scaled back from the free museum pass yeah. program anyways, because they kind of offer their own free museum yeah. days as part of a federal And program. I'm hearing that the, the passes that you uh, described that you could check out before in person, they would last for like a week, whereas these online, you have to just pick a specific date and you have to go on that day mm-hmm. or, you know, or else kind of thing. Or maybe you'll have to just do it again. Uh, so much coordination for so everything. So much coordination. Right? <laughs> All right, Amanda, on to... Cook County, the they're in the news too. The board of commissioners commissioners announced yesterday that heading into 2024, they're estimating an 85.6 million dollar deficit. But they're saying, "Don't worry, we're Don't not raising worry. taxes. Don't fret it. Don't no, really. Fret. They're so saying put this that in context. They're, they're saying that that's a relative drop in the bucket, uh, a hole in the bucket, if you will. That okay. it's really not that large of a deficit to make up through just regular measures. Um, The county is contending with some additional pressures, particularly we've talked a lot, I know all of us, about the uh, expenses of migrants and health care for them, and that is a cost that is borne a lot by the Cook County health uh, system. And so that is an issue. They're also contending with some pay raises that will be part of that. Um, But Preckwinkle is saying, and by the way, also, Additional pension expenses, and that is through an agreement that the county had with state legislators as they're agreeing to take on some of these additional costs um, in hopes that it will ward off a emergency with the pension program in the future. But uh, as long, I think for the most part, the county government is one of those things that people are cool with as long as it wasn't, I don't know, like a soda tax or something that is really, really obvious. Board President Preckwinkle, mm -hmm. she says uh, no new taxes are needed and she can close the gap with some, quote, tweaking, right? I mean, can $85 million just... Can we just find that in the couch cushions? I mean, it's, it's a seven-something billion-dollar budget. So uh, I, I, I think it is uh, – she has a reputation, is has built a reputation as being a solid fiscal steward. And it is the sort of thing where we don't know where the economy is going to go. Uh, um, and it's crazy to say that millions – a million dollars, let alone – 85 of them is is (laughs) not a lot of money, but relative to $7 billion. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and relative to the budget gaps that Chicago and Cook County saw during the at the height of the pandemic in Cook County, I think it was more than $400 million. And so when you look at it, you know how it's decreased over time. I mean, 85 million is what Mayor Lori Lightfoot had projected is going to be the budget deficit for next year. And she was like, this is my parting gift to to Mayor Brandon Johnson. Well, think about this, though. They they got a, somewhere around a billion dollars in federal COVID relief money. They they've only spent about a quarter to a third of that. So that's remarkable remarkable fiscal prudence on the part of the Cook County Board and President Prankwinkle. They have seven hundred million dollars left to spread out over future years, and they could have said like, oh, here's all this money. Let's go solve all our problems right now and spend it right now. And instead, they're taking the more prudent approach. And I will also say that the county a public pension situation is relatively probably right. the best of all the local municipal governments. Now, that's not saying very much, but their funding is better than the city. It's better than a lot of the state funds. And it's amazing if we put this into context going back many, many, many years, Cook County government was always seen of as corrupt, uh, a fiscal nightmare yeah. under former President Todd Stroger. Uh, and, and you have to say that um, whatever our faults are, um, this government has cleaned up its its fiscal issues uh, relative. I mean, not, nothing is 
great anywhere, but relative to other municipal governments around here. Yeah. Stephen Ford on YouTube says, can the county government run a deficit like federal? No, they, by by statute, every government in Illinois has to balance its budget, and they can't declare bankruptcy, and they they can't run a deficit. So they they figure They'll out have there to, are all sorts of ways. There's ways to the bills over next year. There are ways to, but they it's not like the quote, federal budget. You yeah. have to balance the budget. Yes, they cannot carry a deficit. Yeah, let's head over to, uh, over to City Hall, Mariah. Of course, the city's still searching for its next police superintendent. But this week, we learned that 19 city council members. Uh, in Chicago. They're backing a specific candidate. What's the story there? And tell us how Anthony Driver is feeling about this. So this was some drama this week. Um, You know, there is a new independent search process to determine who will lead the Chicago Police Department that is underway with the new community Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability, and they conduct an independent nationwide search and then are responsible for sending three candidates to Mayor Brandon Johnson. Mayor, The mayor has to choose from that list or send it back and say, give me three more. And that just continues to happen until we get a new police superintendent. Um, you know, this was a major win for police uh, reform advocates mm-hmm. two years ago, creating this body because they really felt like you know, community members should have the say in who leads the police department. So that search is underway. This week, 19 Chicago aldermen sent a letter to Anthony Driver, the head of the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability, saying, why didn't you interview this top-ranking CPD official? Why didn't you conduct a follow-up interview Mm -hmm. with um, Chief of Patrol Brian McDermott? You know, he's well-respected. We think he would be a great leader. And he says, your letter is completely inappropriate. Yeah, and Anthony Driver fires back and says, the fact that you think that you can use political sway— to and and another complaint was that they sent this letter out to the media via a public relations firm before sending it to the commission. So really, kind of like amplifying the idea that this is politicking in a place where the politics aren't supposed to be involved. Yeah. Anthony Driver said, "You know, this is exactly the Chicago way that um, we're trying to avoid with this independent process. Your letter's inappropriate." Alderman fi- fired back saying, "We think that we can have a say. You know, we think we can, you know, speak Do, our opinion about does that. This. Does their move hold weight?" the elders no when it comes to what the mayor will actually do i mean perhaps i mean the mayor the mayor did speak out um about you know how mcdermott is a well-respected um police officer and uh, and thinks he could he could be qualified but um if he's not on the list of finalists then they'll go back you know i do think that it's this whole argument over how to handle it let's say that they had that the members of city council had sent a letter to the commission versus making it public. Would that be seen as trying to get some sort of insider scoop or deal? You know, like what sort of interference is appropriate as you go through that this is a new system, a new mechanism? Is it interference if you go public or is it greater interference by going through back channels that regular people might not be able to access yeah. or, or perhaps even if they go through the program a, a unified front of aldermen is that exerting but, pressure and well, so i think there's just a sort of a whole discussion is this is new let's also stipulate this if mayor johnson has someone in mind that he wants to be superintendent he is very likely going to get that person because as mariah said mm-hmm. this this rule is that this commission which is an interim commission right now, by the way, and right. some older people have uh, problems with that. But anyway, they have to send three finalists to him. He can say, I don't like any of them, go back to the drawing board. Or or he can do what Rahm Emanuel did years and years ago with Eddie Johnson and say, we're going to pass an ordinance to circumvent the whole process because I want Eddie Johnson. You guys didn't come up with Eddie Johnson. That's who I want. Mm-hmm. There is nothing to stop 
Mayor Johnson and City Council from passing an ordinance saying this one time again we're going to circumvent the process and yeah. we're going to we're going to have McDermott or someone. I, he, I don't think he would be in a very he, he, circumspect position sure. if he were he to says go. He re- yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And and I mean the people who fought for this ordinance years ago under Mayor Lori Lightfoot are Johnson's closest allies yeah. on the council. None of them signed on to this letter. Um, you know pushing for McDermott. So it would be a shock. But yes, that's the that's the route that the council has. And that's kind of what was, um, you know, parsed out in the press this week was Alderman saying, you know, we could change this ordinance if we want to. And I think that the main problem is that, you know, Brian Hopkins was saying, I, I think that this was what I was concerned about was, you know, the city council not having a say in who leads the police department when aldermen hold water for crime in their communities. Yeah. And I don't know if McDermott is the person, but you're the mayor of Chicago and Brandon Johnson is no different than any other mayor. You want a say in who your police, this is your most important hire. If there is someone that he said in his mind, uh, that he knows that he wants to lead that department, he will get that person yeah. somehow. WBEZ's got a story out right now that's comparing candidate Johnson to Mayor Johnson, and particularly focusing on his stance regarding the presence of officers in schools. Mariah, what's the change there? Yeah, so this story came out of some comments that Mayor Johnson made after a Wednesday city council meeting um, about a vote that's expected at the Board of Education next week to renew a contract with Chicago Police Department for $10 million to keep officers in, I would say, a little over a quarter of um, Chicago public or a third of Chicago public schools. Um, And this is a decision that is left up to local school councils, whether to decide to have officers in schools or not. Um, and Johnson on the campaign trail had said he does not want to see police officers in schools. He, he said, you know, very clearly that officers do not belong in schools. And, and yesterday didn't make as strong or Wednesday didn't make as strong of comments saying he believes in the democratic process. And he thinks this is a decision that should be left up to local school councils. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that the CTU, when Johnson was an organizer for the union, railed against. Um, they railed against the police department contract. And then when that decision was deferred to local school councils, they kind of, you know, made made local school councils the target, though I think they kind of walked that back and then did decide to support that democratic process, which is what Johnson expressed on mm. Wednesday. Yeah, beyond uh, police and schools, critics, including 45th Ward Alderman Jim Gardner and 19th Ward Alderman Matt O'Shea, they're becoming impatient with Johnson's approach to addressing the root causes of crime. What do you make of that, Paris? Well, I make of it that he's been in office, what, about a month? <laughs> we're, we're not going to solve all of Chicago's problems uh, in a month. And, and Johnson has said these are long-term solutions of disinvestment. These are generational problems. But, you know, Johnson is going to have to deal with the perception around crime and the and the message that he's going to put. And I've watched four mayors now struggle with this because, you know, gun crime is, is a persistent problem. It has been for the last 50 years. So I think it's going to be for the next several years. Well, people want him to fix it the, now. The question, yeah, the, the issue is will people accept some sort of progress on it? And clearly, you know, things got worse under Lightfoot, although it got worse in so many uh, different – it just kind of nationwide it got worse. Uh, Mayor Emanuel – they had gotten the homicide rate down under 500 a couple of those years in the 2010s, but people were still calling him the murder mayor and saying that this was a crisis. Well, in 2020, it was up uh, past 800. So if it starts to go down toward that 500 number again, I think Mayor Johnson can claim progress. So it, 
it, it's he we're not going to see significant progress in one term even he's got to go out there Although a and, lot has changed in terms of the pandemic as you noted just right. national trends and what is going on so there. much is out and of the it's mayor's also control difficult to parse i mean i think the sun times had a, a really interesting article for example about the number of after the angina young raid and settlement yeah. the, the number of warrants to search homes is significantly down yeah. uh, it, it, it is Far less, like yeah, decimals. It's uh, compared to fall. For Street stops had gone cities. down. I mean, gun right. seizures had gone down. What a is, lot of those. What does that contribute to crime? Is that right. a victory? Is it a failure? I think there's just so much there. But it, well, here's the thing. Yeah, we talked about the city still needing to fill that police superintendent role, right? In the interim, Fred Waller says that uh, CPD is quote working officers to a nub due to staffing shortages. Amanda. Mm. This is a department in transition, right? So uh, what kind of challenges does that pose for reducing oh, crime? Significant challenges. And that's something that I think was an issue in the mayoral race as well. Uh, the mayor hasn't particularly committed to filling uh, vacancies. His priority is increasing the number of detectives to solve some of these crimes, those that have gone um, un resolved and that cause, of course, a lot of stress for the victims of people uh, and family members of victims, as well as the community at large. So uh, I, I don't know how you turn that around. We're, we're seeing that in many sectors, uh, of course, th yeah. th there being a staffing shortage, but it's a different ball game when it comes to police. Yeah. And there are, again, many um, mayoral allies who would say the answer isn't police. It's OK to have those vacancies. We, we don't want all of them. Uh, yeah. It's it's a consistent challenge. And I don't think that the, the Chicago has come to a resolution on it. I think yeah. a positive development, I should start to jump in again, but we saw the Civic Committee, the Commercial Club. This is a group of business titans put forth their plan. And it's nice to see you know, some of the business leaders say, instead of saying, we're going to leave and this is terrible, we're mm -hmm. fleeing town, let's be part of the solution. Let's, let's, let's try to hire, you know, kids from, from, from all these uh, impoverished neighborhoods. Let's, let's try to, you know, put some money and in investment. Let's A lot do of things. Money. Let's put money behind things that are working in certain neighborhoods and take that citywide. That could really help. It's good to see some, some buy-in from the business community. Yeah. Well, Mariah, uh, progressive city council members, they want to reduce police presence in, in some ways. Let's listen here to uh, Democratic Socialist Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez. I think the problem that we have is that we are sending every single issue that we have to police. So you're always going to need more police when police is the only answer that you have for everything that happens. Homelessness, send police. Mental health issues, send police. Substance abuse, send police. Because you have other answers, right? And answers that can actually address the root causes of the issues that we're facing. We know she's been instrumental behind treatment, not trauma, and uh, other legislation that's been uh, not been focused on since since Johnson's inauguration. Let's let's be real about that. So could sending fewer police to certain calls, could that actually help the department as it's dealing with these staffing issues right now? Well, that's the, you know, kind of philosophical argument be behind treatment, not trauma, is that you take the burden off police officers by sending mental health professionals right. out instead of officers who respond to quite a quite a good number of mental health crises. Lightfoot kind of got that started, that program started, and she started the pilot program that sends mental health professionals out with police officers. And then even, you know, I think that has progressed to a unit that sends solely mental health officers. Um, but Rosana Rodriguez-Sanchez and Mayor Brandon Johnson support one, you know, kind of 
putting their own stamp on that program and making it just mental health professionals taking the burden completely off of police. Um, And that is one of Johnson's key campaign promises that many people are going to be watching in the next year um, to see if he can kind of make progress on that. But it's not an easy ordinance to pass. The ordinance include or the the plan, the overall plan of treatment on trauma includes reopening the city's shuttered mental health clinics. And that is not an easy feat, especially because Lightfoot has kind of kind of built up this infrastructure to use money um, to send out to, you know, organizations that provide mental health resources to Chicagoans. And you can't kind of just take that money away from those organizations who have built webs of care in communities and and just, you know, reopen mental health clinics. And so it's it's a big, big challenge that, um, yes, is billed as a solution to taking the burden off police, but it's not um, an easy one and not one that I think we're going to see, you know, in his first six months in office. Yeah. I want to turn now, unfortunately, to a tragic situation in Willowbrook. Uh, this was over the Juneteenth weekend, uh, 23 shot and, and one dead at a holiday celebration. I mean, this was tough to read about. Anyone else? See the story? Well, there's, I have so many questions. Yes, it's uh, obviously it's it's a terrible tragedy, especially for the for the man that died. But was this a was this a legal gathering? And why why are is there such a big gathering in a parking lot at a strip mall um, in the wee hours of the morning? And now I think that there are some questions about the liquor store owner um, because some folks that were at that gathering say, "Well, this guy has allowed this for, and people have known about this, and the town has known about it, and." And yeah. is is he within his legal rights to allow a gathering like that on on, on that kind of property at midnight? Yeah, um, the, the, when the, things can go wrong. The things... family of the deceased, Re- right. Re- Reginald Meadows, was his name. Uh, they're suing the the property owner, right, right, of the strip mall. Yeah, and and I think there is an investigation in Willowbrook. So I I mean I'm going to be very curious to see the answers uh, to that. Yeah, deputies from the area say that uh, an unknown number of individuals fired on the crowd that was gathered for the event. Shooters have not been identified, uh, which, I mean, that's got to be frustrating for for survivors and families who were there attending. Um, This is supposed to be a celebration. Well, I mean, the shooters have not been identified. Like, you know, let's go back to the city of Chicago where, you know, something like half of actual homicides are ever actually solved. And then the shootings, like a fraction of of the actual shootings are ever solved. Anyone's ever like brought in with charges. So this is something that Chicagoans know, know all too well. But yeah, I mean, what, what, what were the circumstances here? Were, were there just rival factions? Was it just a fight, an interpersonal situation? Was Mm. it, I, you know, I think we're all waiting those answers. So many questions still. And and this caused friction, uh, criticism from Republicans in Springfield, right? State Representative Mike Marin said that the Democrats plan to remove certain semi-automatic firearms has not made the state safer. And State Rep Dan Calkins said, it's not about guns, it's about people. So as we're going further into summer, I mean, I feel like the sad reality is that there are going to be more of these. This is going to keep happening. So are efforts coming from the state level to address this? I mean, so as you noted, the that quote-unquote assault weapons ban, and I say quote-unquote because those who are members of the gun community 
take umbrage with the term assault weapons. They don't believe that the guns that are included in the law are all that and that they are not weapons of war. But uh, I believe there was a witness quoted that said that they heard 100 shots in within a matter of seconds. So uh, there are still these sort of guns that have that capability as well as technology that turns uh, guns into something that acts akin to a machine gun and can fire very rapidly. We don't know details about this uh, particular incident and what went down exactly. But it's going to be difficult to get some of those off the street. Backers of that law say that is Illinois' sort of best effort. I don't imagine there being further legislation anytime soon that will further crack down on guns. And the current legislation has all kinds of legal challenges. So it's it's not even put into place in a lot of in a lot of places. Yeah, I mean, it's mostly, but it's also the the notion is you don't want more is what backers say. Well, to, to those Republicans, if it's not the guns and it's just the people, then what is your solution? If it's well, not the guns, then uh, then, then the solution is what? And I, mean, I, you... I also I never understand that argument because, you know, a lot of illegal gun, guns come from states right. around Illinois that right. don't have the same sort of ban. Right. So I just don't think that that is a, you know, logically sound argument when we see so many illegal guns coming in yeah. from states without similar bans. Well, before we take a pause, Amanda, I want you to... Uh, Catch us up to speed here on another story from this week. Illinois scaling back health care benefits for undocumented immigrants as Governor Pritzker is exercising his authority to limit state-funded health care for low-income uh, non-citizens, right? And you covered this. Yeah, and so this is something that was really the big hiccup with getting a budget passed. And so this isn't a surprise. I mean, there there is a lot of contention, and it is rare. I think this is really... Frankly, the first time that Governor Pritzker has taken this sort of flack, especially from the progressive side, he has not seen a lot of that. He has sort of worked with progressives and catered his agenda toward and molded himself into, quote unquote, a practical progressive. So this is uh, the the first time that he's really getting this sort of pushback. And Mm. it will be I'm going to be watching from a political perspective how much it sticks. Is this going to be something that is um, an exercise by a a couple of groups? And yet you have uh, Latino legislators who had been pushing for expansion of this program versus instead what you're getting. And that's the opposite. Uh, Whether they are truly upset or again, if this is sort of a, a wink and a nod protest because they were part of budget negotiations. And this is a program that had skyrocketing costs and has since its very onset. Um, But it does fly in the face of some of the the governor's own phrases Mm -hmm. of including that healthcare should be a right and not a privilege. But that, as with so much else, comes up to practical concerns of budgetary limits. Another story from the week that's been so hard to look away from, the Ocean Gate submersible. Uh, The Coast Guard announced that all five passengers of the Titan sub are dead after finding debris near the Titanic site yesterday. Authorities say the cause was a, quote, catastrophic implosion, end quote. What's been your reaction to all of this? Have you been following? I I think James Cameron, the director of Titanic, said it best when that this tragedy kind of mirrors the actual Titanic tragedy. I mean, they're going there to see the remains of Titanic. But this, this uh, company apparently did not, was not certified, 
you know, to dive that like this, this contraption, the submersible wasn't, it didn't get certified, you know, by whoever the, the organization is that certifies yeah. this stuff and people are paying, but you know what? He just, he can't, he can't help himself because it's, it's, you know, I'm going to charge $250,000 and we're going to go see the remains of Titanic. It's just too great. Just like on the Titanic, mm. we're going to build the biggest, fastest ship, but we're going to get there in record time. And, you know, no matter that there's an iceberg over here, but if you're paying $250,000 and it is a tragedy for them and our hearts go out to their families, but do you not know that that this company has not gotten like the certifications to do that kind of a dive and you're really going to take that risk with your life? Well, yeah. I think it's hard to argue that people on board did not know only I I mean we don't know right. what their level of knowledge was That's but right. like I mean a, a, a Google search will show up the CEO who was on board bragging about flouting safety concerns right. and saying that that is part of the appeal that yeah. you know it's it's a better mission with w- with this risk and then you hear from um a, a a former passenger who made the same trip saying, right. you know, I, I kissed my wife goodbye with COVID, by the way. He He's said, a, but the Chicagoan, I, right? <laughs> I don't know if this was the Chicago the filmmaker. Um, I'm not sure his name, but, um, you know, I, I, I went, I kissed my wife goodbye, um, not knowing if I would ever see her again. Like I, you know, I knew that the risk I was taking mm. was, was for it's the thrill. Like the, the exploration component of it. I mean, I think you have yeah, a lot let's, of people. Let's explain what OceanGate is. So OceanGate is this company. And actually I, I did um, watch a story with the CEO uh, talking about, you know, 250 K is a lot of money, more than I have to take any sort of and if I was going to do one, it would not be to the depths of the ocean to see the Titanic. But uh, for people that want to do that, yeah. um, he said, you know, he, they actually don't make that much money on it because it is part of this spirit of exploration. You use a lot of money in, in gas and the equipment and all these things, even if you look at some of the pictures and it's literally a, you know, game. I don't know if it's a Nintendo or what, but like a gamer controller that mm-hmm. is controlling the direction of the submarine. Um I think that it is one of those things where you sign a waiver, you take on the the risk. It yeah. does not make it any less of a tragedy for these individuals, but it is something to me where I, I, I'm I, as a journalist, I guess I'm constantly looking at the, at the media and the amount of attention that this received when there's like massive issues going on in the world outside of it. I, I think it's one that because it is the Titanic and it is these incredibly wealthy individuals, it maybe just resonates, um, but. Uh, you, you can't help but, yes, make comparisons to a story of a boat with hundreds of migrants. Hundreds of migrants <laughs> in the Mediterranean who are now dead. Many of whom right. are dead or even just the cost as they continue to look now for remains. Um, I Again, I, yeah. my heart goes and, out and to the individuals. That's a significant, but it's a significant that's, cost. That, that, that relates to a significant international policy issue yeah. and story. Right. And th- so, this is just an intrigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know. so the, this OceanGate, the, this this company. It's a private company out of uh, Everett, Washington. So they're providing crude submersibles. for It's for tourism, industry, research, exploration. And, and the five people on board were OceanGate CEO Stockton Rush, British business, businessman Hamish Harding, Pakistani businessman uh, Shazada Dawood, and teenage son Suleiman Dawood, and French explorer Paul-Henri Narjolo. Um, it, it's been nonstop news about this all week. I mean, tragically, these Awful. people have lost their lives. But Awful. I mean, what's interesting is there's this uh, Chicago connection to the story. That's what I was bringing up, Mariah. Uh, his name is David Wad. He's a filmmaker. Uh, he's from North Suburban Lake Forest. And he made the journey uh, to this wreckage back in 2021. And, you know, he says, you know, he would not have gone on that trip 
in 2021 if he would have, you know, he would have known. So people already had their concerns, it sounds like, before these five went down. Yeah, and I think this company was warned of the potential for catastrophe um, on multiple occasions from news reports I've read. And so I do think they had a reputation of uh, being kind of a risky business. But you know what it reminds me of? I went skydiving once in Florida and, um, and you know, before you have to sign your life away basically uh, and right. anything can happen. And you agree that, that, that the, our skydiving company is not liable if you die or if you get hurt or whatever, the chute doesn't open, you sign away any kind of, um, you know, liability that this company would hold. And then they show you a video of all the things that can go wrong. And so it kind of weeds out like the, the, you know, the pretenders here. Yeah. Like, so I was like, well, I came this far, I'm going to do it. But I'm comforted by the fact that I believe that that industry is regulated, that they got their, you know, certifications and they show their certifications like, OK, well, it means something. You take your life into your hands when you get on an airplane, you know, but it's it's regulated by the FAA. And, you know, so um, and there's a safety track record I know, here. Well, you, but so you think of the psychology risk. of it. The CEO yeah. is on the ship. And so I, I think part of my calculation right. would be, well, he doesn't well, want to die. He so... want, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. I think there's so much to it. But it's... but again, to our point earlier, how has this been covered, right, compared yeah. to the other Ad news out there? how. <laughs> Ad the, the answer. Yeah, I mean, 750 migrants on board you know, another boat. Uh, this is even in Chicago tragedies. Waters. I mean, we just Chicago talk, tragedies. Drownings. There's plenty of individuals. Well, because it's so unusual. But I, I'll, I'll defend the media coverage of it and say this. You know, we're so polarized and no one can agree on anything politically. And politics dominates, you know, national news and cable news. And when there's a story that everyone can kind of come together, whatever your political stripe is, and, and kind of discuss and talk about um, – I, or joke I'll, about. Yeah, and I don't many, think we should joke jokes. about. Way yeah. too no, no, many no. jokes. Many, 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 but, many but, jokes. But it's, it's, it, from a media set, I'll defend the coverage sure. because it's good to have stories that everybody can kind of talk about and agree on no matter what your political stripe is because we're so in our in our silos and everything right. else. But there's a point where you stop. Sure. And yeah. you look but, around at the other things. But then there's a the point where you bring things. up, the, like you said, the migrants – um, off the coast of Greece, and, and it has we, perhaps we brought more attention too. to that issue. Yeah. It's may, maybe brought more attention to regulatory issues, yeah. and also maybe the cost of exploration. You look at space exploration and some of the some of the calculations that, and risks that go along with that, and yeah. yet the necessity perhaps of doing it. Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Let's reset for a moment, shall we? We are talking about some of the latest happenings here in Chicagoland and across the country in our weekly news recap. Our panelists, Paris Schutz and Amanda Vinicky of WTTW and Mariah Wolfel of WBEZ. All right. FX's The Bear is back <laughs> with a second season. Did you all watch the first season? I, I didn't the finish first. it. Are you I excited? Yeah, I the first few it. episodes. I didn't finish it either. It's too intense. It's too. It gives me anxiety. It's so intense. Everything. It's like... Working at that beef shop seems like it's more stressful than working in the military or <laughs> yes, something. Yes, totally agree. Lisa Lobb is here from WBEZ, says, no spoilers. Well, Lisa, I don't think we have any for you. It looks nope. like none of us have, <laughs> none of us have watched. It does make me want a beef. I, I mean, yeah, I'll yeah. say that. I really like that Sydney character. I yeah. think Carmi's a good actor. What do, you, what do you think of its depiction of Chicago, the series? I was really anti 
the bear for a long time and didn't watch it because I was like, this is just going to anger me because, you know, they're going to get street names wrong. They're going to make bad references. And they did. And have bad um, accents. Yeah. yeah. But I severed my my thinking and I was just like, whatever, I'm going to think about this as a show that's not in Chicago. I'm not going to watch it for the Chicago-ness of it because that's just all wrong. And then you just watch it for like the drama and the character development. Yeah. And then it was good and I appreciated it. All right. Kind of on that same note of food, Amanda, I'm looking at you. Earlier this week, you put out a tweet, didn't you? A, a whole story. Yeah, some, I did a some story. Some fish made of fungi? Yeah, I did a um, whole story. Check it out. It was really fascinating on a Chicago-based company that is trying to, uh, like, save the world in its own way, uh, particularly when you look at increasing populations uh, in Asia in particular, where they consume a lot of fish and there are overfishing concerns and what that does to our oceans. Uh, and so trying to resolve that by coming up with a product that is sort of like alternative meats, although yeah. they don't, they don't love that comparison because yeah. they say they don't have a lot of additives in theirs. They don't want to be like, oh, it's just soy. So it uses the root. It doesn't taste like mushroom. I tried some um, and it was I, I'm, I'm pregnant, so I haven't been able to have sushi. And let me tell you, it was amazing to have something. I cannot wait to have this baby so that I can have some sushi. This is not on the market yet. Right. Otherwise, I'd be getting the more of this. Um, but the, the objective is to have it be a lower cost alternative to fish that has the same um, nutritional component. And so it could be a huge win for a Chicago company if they are successful in this endeavor. And while um, it, again, benefited me in my current state of health, uh, the, the real objective is to try and really do, make yeah. a dent in this terrible pollution problem and well, overfishing issues. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Well, before we go, uh, I, I want to get some recommendations from you because WBEZ just released its 2023 summer guide yesterday. We know there's a lot of things happening this weekend and beyond. What are you looking forward to? Let's start with this weekend, Paris. You first. Well, there's the Reset Festival. It has nothing to do with BEZ. I'm in, not there. In, in Reese yeah. Park. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a music festival. I, you know, I'm looking forward to Ricardo. should bring you in. Maestro Ricardo Muti's <laughs> final um, um, you know, performance as okay. conductor. That's going to be on Saturday. Then Tuesday at Millennium Park, he's going to give the big free final concert for Chicago before he steps That's down as music be director at CSO. Where are you, where are you, where are you two going to be? <laughs> uh, what do I have going this weekend? Let's see. I, I'm going to Stevie Nicks. Oh, and then also uh, the White Sox game tomorrow. They've got a Yay. real cool nice. giveaway. It's the basketball jersey. They do oh, like yeah. a hockey jersey, a football jersey, and tomorrow's the basketball jersey. Love and I'm it. all for Sox gear. <laughs> Mariah, real quick. Very nice. Um, what am I doing? There's the Pride Parade on Sunday. Oh, yeah. that's that where up. you're going. WBEZ will be there. <laughs> that's right. That's your answer. You Our go. thanks to WBEZ <laughs> City Politics reporter Mariah Wolfel, WTTW correspondent and anchor. Paris Schutz and WTTW politics correspondent. Can't speak today. Amanda Vinicky. Have, have a great weekend. <laughs> this episode of Reset was produced by Stephanie Kim, Maha Ahmed, Michael Liptrot, and Micah Yason. And it was edited by Dan Tucker, Ethan Schwab, and Maha Ahmed. Get the recap and all the great coverage we do here on Reset by subscribing to our podcast. And when you do, be sure to leave us a rating and review. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.